And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man behind you? That's Carl. I met him at the laundry map. Sam Slade Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Fellas, think we could listen to the radio or something? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, it's the conclusion to the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show from 1950. Then it's a radio adaptation of the famous Edgar Allan Poe story, Murders in the Rue Morgue, on the Weird Circle. And by my side is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. You're by my side. Did you I know that? I am by your side. I'm not yes. exactly touching you, no, but I'm, uh, I'm close by. No, I mean, you know. You know. You're pretty close. Yeah, so what's close. going on in Hollywood? <laughs> so SNL's Kenan Thompson has joined the series Maya and Marty. Which he is, is so talented. He is. Oh, and, my gosh. and, of course, we're talking about Maya Rudolph and Martin Short. Yes. And they're going to be co-hosting this TV variety show. It's all the hype of the Internet right now. It's a one-hour weekly show premiering the end of the month on NBC. Um, and it'll be comedy sketches, musical numbers, it's celebrity It's like the Carol guests. Burnett show, but with uh, Maya, yes. Martin Short. You know and, what? Yeah. These are really three fantastic, funny actors. Super talented. So hopefully this, I'll this bet will it's work gonna be out. Great. What's the name of the show? It's called Maya and Marty. It will debut following two-hour season debut of Americans America's Got Talent. Right. And it will air live uh, NBC headquarters, Rockefeller Plaza. Very, very cool. We'll be looking forward to that. All right, it's time now for the conclusion to the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show from January 1st, 1950. Hey, sweetie, I want to thank you again for your very constructive criticism. And look, I want you to drop over to our house and see us sometime. Drop in any time at all, huh? Thanks. Come on, Alice, Frankie, let's go. Come on. Let's not waste any time. Let's get in the car. Alice, which way is the Philharmonic Auditorium? For heaven's sake, Phil. Surely you're not going to take this seriously. Why not? Sweeney's my public, and if my public wants me to be a concert singer, I owe it to them. Just because Sweeney tells you. Well, why not? Anybody can see he's a very intelligent man. Oh, yeah, the bicycle clips prove that. (laughs) Guy's a genius with purple feet. Honey, before you go ahead with this and make a fool of yourself, do me one favor. Get the opinion of a professional voice coach. If he thinks you have a good voice, I won't stop All right, all right. If it'll make you happy, I'll call a voice coach, and I'll have him come over to the house and listen to me. Ah, I can see the expression on his face as I raise my voice thusly. Stand back, Alice. Your bull is about to bellow. Bom, 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 bee, bom, bee, bom, 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 bom. <laughs> <laughs> well, my B-flat scale is in perfect shape. <clears throat> Say, Alice, what time is that voice coach coming over? He'll, he'll be here any minute. Now, look, Phil. I called John Crown. He's one of the finest voice coaches in the country. And he's come o- coming over here to tell you you have a bad voice, so please listen to okay, him. Okay, I'm going to be... Sh- what do you mean he's coming over here to tell me I have a bad voice? You have the bad voice. <laughs> he hasn't heard me yet. Nobody can tell I got a bad voice until they hear me. What's bad voice? Oh, honey. Well, I don't mean you have a bad voice, but it isn't of concert quality, believe me. 
The very thought of you trying it worries me. Well, there's no need for you to worry. Just because it's the end of the Phil Harris Alice Faye show. Now, when I start my new program, what I'll... new program? The Rexall Concert Hour. <laughs> Starring Philip Harris and Margaret Truman. Miss Truman is going to take my place, huh? But don't you fret, Alicia. Don't you fret, because I'll manage to find a place for you as third soprano in the choir. <laughs> or if you prefer to take up the bassoon, I think I have a bassoon that'll fit you. <laughs> and now, if you'll excuse me, my dear, I must get my voice in shape, please. Hey, Remley, uh, yeah. will you hurry up with that throat spray, huh? I'll have it ready in a few minutes. Okay. All right. Oh, I can hear me and Miss Truman doing a duet now. <laughs> when I'm calling you, <laughs> will you answer to alone, Julius. The name is Nelson. Shall we continue, Jeanette? <laughs> and this time, let's make it a walk so we can dance the last chorus. Uh, be quiet, kid. Don't interrupt, Julius. Mr. Harris is rehearsing for the concert stage. Oh, no! <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I'm thinking of making my debut next week. <laughs> or maybe I'll make my debut in a fortnight. <laughs> Nine days. <laughs> At the Philharmonic Auditorium, if you please, and I'll be a sensation. No doubt. I guarantee you set a new record for the auditorium. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Hey, what's the record at the auditorium now? The last time I was there, the sign said the place could be empty in five minutes, but I bet you cut it in half. <laughs> Never mind, you little can stacker. <laughs> I happen to have a very fine voice. All my voice needs is somebody to train it. I know just the guy. Who? Frank Buck. <laughs> Tell you something, wise guy. Now, if you insist on hanging around here, you better make yourself useful. Now, go in the kitchen and see what's taking Remley so long with my throat spray. I got to get my voice warmed up. Come in the kitchen. We'll hold it over the gas. <laughs> oh, I got to prevent this. I can't let him do this to music lovers. <laughs> hi, Mr. Remley. Oh, hi, Ken. And Mr. Remley, I just heard the bad news about Mr. Harris going in for concert singing. Yeah, ain't it awful? But don't worry, Julius. I'm going to save my pal from making a fool of himself. When that voice coach gets here, Curly won't be able to open his mouth. How do you know? I'm mixing the throat spray. <laughs> oh, allow me to help. Where's the air poison? I don't want to kill him. I just want to slow him down a little. I got the spray almost prepared. 
All I gotta add are these three soothing ingredients. What are they? Alum, plaster of Paris, and rubber cement. <laughs> A splendid concoction. When this stuff hardens, he won't be able to open his yet. Precisely, Doctor. Well, it's all ready. Now all we have to do is spray Curly's throat every time he opens his mouth, and then Hey, we'll... Remley, what's taking you so long to get the throat spray ready? It's all prepared. It's all prepared. Open your mouth. Oh, you got it, huh? <clears throat> okay. Hey, that stuff tastes good. <laughs> Glad you like it. Here, have one for the road. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I've had enough. Now, if you're still able to open your mouth... Give him a booster shot, Mr. Remley. <laughs> oh, Bill. Oh, Bill. Yeah, honey. Oh, Mr. Crown has just arrived. Uh, here he is. Ah, at last. My voice coach is here. <laughs> Cut it out, Remley. I've had enough, I told you. <laughs> Mr. Crown, uh, this is my husband, Mr. Harris. How do you do, Mr. Harris? Your wife has told me all about you, and I'm very anxious to hear your voice. And I don't blame you, Mr. Crown. You have a great treat in store for you. When I sing on the road to Mandalay, you'll hear what is probably the most gorgeous backbone in this part of the country, which has never been fooled once when I sing on the road to Mandalay. I beg your pardon? I said when I sing on the road to Mandalay. I'm trying to tell a guy what's wrong What's wrong with him? It's his age, Alan. <laughs> yeah, he's got high hardening of the arteries. I, please, I can't waste my time, Mr. Harris. I came to hear your voice, so please let me hear it. Well, don't just one point of two. Of course, I'm right, Curly. Stop it now. Sing on the road to Mandalay for All the man. All right, let me some party stuff to win. Right away, right away. Yeah, he forgot I, the voice. Let's help him out. Okay. Don't forget the voice. On the road to Mandalay. <laughs> Where to fly in this place? Good health to all from Rexall. And a happy new year to everyone and to the biggest little town in the South, Galveston, Texas, where they're having their Oleander Bowl tomorrow, New Year's Day, with two great teams, McMurray College and Missouri Valley College. Good luck down there and happy new year, everybody. Happy new year, Thanks everybody. Thanks for listening to us. If you're tormented by a cough these winter days, try Cherisote, Rexall's famous cough remedy. Stay tuned for Sam Spade, then two great stars on Theater Guild on NBC. And that's the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show with Concert Stage from a broadcast date of January 1st, 1950, starring Phil Harris and Alice Faye, also in the cast Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, and Robert North, sponsored by Rexall, as heard on NBC. Let's take a break, then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. To my right, the vivacious Lisa Wolf, the woman with the biggest 
uh, dimples on the planet. Maybe Mario Lopez's are a little bigger. I'm not sure. And he is possibly. A, hey, he's a good-looking guy with the dimple. Yeah, so, you know you he know. is. A, he is a very good-looking guy. I'm glad you noticed. <laughs> yeah, I'll know. let him know. Thank he's you. He's actually playing uh, Matthew in my new audio, an audio Bible that I am um, creating right now called The Word of God for Tyndale. And um, Mario is playing the role of Matthew in it. Well, I'm very excited about I, it. I look forward to meeting to his work dimples. With him. Yeah, we yeah. can compare our crevices. I'll have to tell him there is actually someone that may have bigger dimples than you, Mario. Well, I don't know. We'll have to we'll measure. Well, yeah, let's do that. All right, you ready for a good mystery, Lisa? Yes, definitely. Because you are a mystery. I, Let me all tell women you. are a mystery, Carl. The Weird Circle was an anthology of classic thrillers from the pens of the world's most famous famous and best-respected fiction authors of the 19th century. The focus were horror and suspense stories by Edgar Allan Poe, Robert Louis Stevenson, and Mary Shelley with the occasional drama by Emily Bronte, Charles Dickens, and George Eliot. The Weird Circle was produced in New York by the National Broadcasting Company and offered in syndication. The narrator of The Weird Circle sat in a cave, just like you do, Lisa, by a restless sea and instructed a bellkeeper to toll the bell so that all may know that we are gathered again in The Weird Circle for another strange and weird story from out of the past. I could just see Lisa doing this for her kids. I kind of like that weird stuff. You know, hey, kids, gather around. Gather around. I'm going to toll a bell. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm not going to feed you or anything like that because I can't cook. No, we don't eat in our But house. I'm going to tell you a story. I mean, I know you're all hungry, but just uh, forget about the, the hunger pangs and listen to this story. There's it makes always- it more exciting when you're hungry. Yeah, and you're listening yeah. to a scary show. And this is a good one. It's called Murders in the Rue Morgue. It's by Edgar Allan Poe. Let's go back to January 2nd, 1944 for part one of The Weird Circle. Incredible. Unbelievable. Yes, truth is often incredible, but you must believe. Listen to the weird circle. Out of the past, phantoms of a world gone by speak again the immortal tale. The murders in the Rue Morgue. Gentlemen, gentlemen, please, may I have your attention? Very well. I didn't ask you to come to my humble apartment tonight to endeavor to stun you with my superior knowledge of crime and criminals. I've asked you here only to prove to you that the murders in the Rue Morgue present no great insoluble mystery. Monsieur Dupin, if you think the case is so obvious, tell me, who is the murderer? He will be here shortly, Monsieur le Prefect of Police. Here? Who is it? The murderer here? Gentlemen... I give you my word as a man of honor that he will be here in my apartment at precisely 10 o'clock this evening. How can you be so sure? I have asked him to come. It is exactly 9 o'clock now, gentlemen. And in the hour remaining to us before we meet the murderer, I shall explain to you as simply as I can how I managed to arrive at my conclusion. Yes, do, Monsieur Dupin. I'm always interested in guesswork. Guesswork, my dear fellow? This is not guesswork. No? Now, gentlemen, let us retrace the case. The story begins, if I'm not mistaken, with Madame Lespanay and her daughter Camille on the afternoon of December 16th, 1841. Uh, well, of course, you're correct so far anyway, Dupin. I bow, Monsieur le Prefect. Madame Lespanay and her daughter Camille entered the Bank of France at precisely 2.45 in the afternoon to transact important business. Ah, oh, Madame Lespinay, I've been waiting for you. So good of you, Monsieur Lebon. 
Have you met my daughter, Camille? I don't think I've had the pleasure. How do you do, mademoiselle? How do you do, Monsieur Le Bon? Are you quite sure, Madame L'Espinay, that you wish to withdraw all this money at this time? Quite positive. But 4,000 francs is a great deal to keep about one's household, madame. I'm quite aware of the danger involved, Monsieur Le Bon. But if the bank keeps this withdrawal quiet, nobody else need know that I have a sum of money in the house. Well, things do get about, madame. There's no use inviting unnecessary danger. The danger is my problem, Monsieur Le Bon. I think we'd better let the matter drop at that. Have you, uh... Any protection against possible thievery at home, madame? Ah, uh, no, monsieur, but mamma and I have protection enough. We bolt and lock our doors. It's absolutely impossible for anybody to enter the house unless he should break the door down. But does any male protector live in the house? My husband died many years ago. Madame misunderstands me. I'm only asking these questions for your own good. Two unprotected women living alone in a large house can invite trouble... That is our problem. If madame insists. And I do insist. Very well, madame. I have the money here. I myself will see you both home to ensure safe delivery. But let me warn you now. The minute you arrive in your home on the Rue Morgue, the Bank of France resigns all future responsibility. We understand, Monsieur Le Bon. We understand perfectly. So, gentlemen, the first step in this little tragedy was completed. Madame Espanay and her daughter insisted on taking the money home from the bank. Monsieur Le Bon drove them in his carriage to their house, the large, bleak house, number 12, Rue Mort. When they arrived there, Monsieur Le Bon looked about for the gendarme who was in charge of that particular block. I help you out, Mademoiselle Camille. Oh, thank you, Monsieur Le Bon. Madame? Thank you. Thank you. Is that the gendarme on the corner, the gendarme usually on this block? Not having had any reason to talk to the gendarme, Monsieur Le Bon, I wouldn't know. Yes, I think it is, Monsieur. Gendarme! Gendarme! All this fuss over a little money. Really, you'd think we were incapable of taking care of ourselves. Well, I think Monsieur Le Bon is very thoughtful, Maman. Gendarme! Coming, monsieur, coming. Do you live on the first floor, madame L'Espinay? On the fourth floor, in the back of the house. I own this house, and I've shut up all the other rooms. You mean this entire house is unoccupied you except for... You called me, monsieur. Yes, I did. I want you to keep a special watch on this house for the next week or so. Madame L'Espinay and her daughter will have a considerable amount of money in the house. I will watch the house like a watchdog. You would be better off if you did it like a man. Then you'd use your head instead of your feet. Monsieur! What is your name, gendarme? Gendarme Isidore Musée. Very well. Gendarme Isidore Musée. I leave these ladies in your care. You needn't worry about a thing, mademoiselle. And madame. I'm sure we won't. That is, as long as you don't spread the news around the neighborhood that we've got 4,000 francs hidden here in the house. Who, me, madame? I am the law, and your secret is safe with me. <laughs> Come along, Mama. I'm getting hungry. Yes, dear. Thank you so much for all you've done, Monsieur Le Bon. It is nothing, mademoiselle, nothing at all. Just a courtesy extended by the Bank of France. I'll keep good watch, be assured of that. I'll keep 
very good watch. Gentlemen, gentlemen, let us proceed to the next event. Gendarme Isidore Musée kept a very good watch on number 12 Rue Morgue. At 11 o'clock the evening of the tragedy, he strolled into the shop two doors away from number 12 to buy a pouch of tobacco and to chat with his very good friend Pierre Moreau, a tiny man known as the neighborhood gossip. Uh, good evening, uh, good evening, good evening, friend Isidore, good evening. Evening. Uh, I've been waiting for you, yes, I've been waiting for you. You usually drop in at 9 o'clock. And I said to myself, as I sat here waiting for you, I said, uh, where's my good friend Isidore? It's been a busy evening this evening. That's what I said to myself. If Isidore doesn't drop in to buy his usual box of tobacco, he's busy. There must be big news abroad, but then <laughs> how could there be big news abroad on this block? That's what I said. You were wrong, Pierre. Very wrong. Wrong, eh? Uh, there is big news. Thievery? No. Murder? No. Well, then, <laughs> I give up. It's a secret. Secret. What could be a secret? Somebody got married. That's no secret. Somebody died. That's no secret either. A child is ill, a contagious disease, an epidemic, or Paris will be infected? No. Well, I can't guess. If you promise not to tell a soul... Oh, not a soul. Well... Madame Lespinier yes? and her daughter Camille yeah. have withdrawn 4,000 francs from the bank today and have it hidden in the house somewhere. No. And I must stand on guard. Oh, naturally, naturally. But don't tell a soul. Oh, not a soul. On my honor, not a single soul, is it? My word of honor, I swear it now. And so, by midnight, gentlemen, the entire neighborhood in the Rue Morgue was buzzing. 4,000 francs in the Lespinay household. I hear it was 10,000. Two women all alone. Imagine it. 20,000 francs. I wonder where... And I... all that jewelry must be a veritable fortune hidden away. Do you know that they say she's got money hidden in every corner of the house? Imagine almost a million francs in that house. I always knew there was something strange about those two women living all alone in a house like that. And in the rear, fourth floor. Yes, sitting in the bedroom of the fourth floor rear. But while the neighborhood was busy gossiping and chattering, Mademoiselle Camille and her mother were completely unaware of the commotion they had caused. It was almost three in the morning. Camille had just finished undressing, and her mother was sitting in front of the mirror, brushing her hair so that they didn't notice the window opening in back of them. I'm so tired, Mama. Poor Camille. It's been a very busy day. You know, I thought that Monsieur Le Bon was very nice. He seems fairly affable. Oh, Mama, fairly affable. I thought he was perfectly charming. So concerned over us. No man ever gets that concerned over me. Must have been you, darling. <laughs> All men see... Oh, oh. Mama! Mama, look in the mirror. 
Stay what calm, Camille. Don't then move. Now he's got a razor in his hand. Don't move, Camille. Mama, quick. Let's hide. He's coming closer. Where, Camille? Where shall we go? Into the closet, Mama. Oh, quickly, Mama, into the closet. Close the door. Oh, Mama, he'll break the door down. He'll break the door down, Mama. Watch out, Camille. He's breaking it down. Help me, Mama. Help me. That's the first portion of the Weird Circle with Murders in the Rue Morgue. We'll get back to it after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now let's get back to the Weird Circle. How terrible. Terrible. How awful. Quite right, gentlemen. Simply ghastly. We fully realize that this is a horrible atrocity. But we must remain factual. While all this was going on on the fourth floor of number 12, Rue Morgue, the gendarme Isidore Musée, the little tobacconist Pierre Moreau, Monsieur Lebon, who, strangely enough, was in the neighborhood at that very moment, and a passerby, a sailor, all four were attracted by the screams of the two women and immediately tried to break into number 12, uh-huh. Rue Morgue. Now stand back, everybody, while I break the door down. Stand back. This is the gendarme's job. Break it down, Isidore. Break it down. Well, come. Follow me, everybody. Up these stairs to the fourth floor. I'm right come behind on. you, Isidore. Right, right behind right. you. Come on the next flight. Keep going. Wait a minute. Wait. Wait. Listen. Listen to that. He's speaking Italian. No, it's Russian, Isidore. No, Italian, Pierre. I think it's Polish. How would you know Polish, Monsieur Lamont? Have you ever heard Polish spoken? No, no, but... Listen. Listen again. I think it's Dutch he's speaking. Dutch, Polish, Italian, Russian. And none of you know what you're talking about. He, he, he stopped speaking, hasn't he? Yes. Probably escaped. Yes, probably. I wonder. Try the door. Uh. Uh, can you open it, door? No, it's locked. I, I think we're too late. I'm sure of it, sailor. I warned you about the gendarme. Well, let's let's break the door down. One, two, <sighs> oh, three. Look, look. What? All oh, the entire room is wrecked. Just exactly as if a maniac had torn up the place. The bed's torn apart. Yes. It's, uh, I've sailed the seven seas, but I've never seen a place look like this in my entire life. Monsieur Le Bon, where are Mademoiselle Camille and, and her mother? I don't know. They're not in here. Look. Where? They're in the fireplace. Oh. It's Mademoiselle Camille. Dead. Yes. Dead. Dead. Poor girl. 
Here, help me, somebody. Help me lift her up. Look. Look out this window. Huh? The old woman is lying in the courtyard below. The sailor's right. Absolutely right. She's lying in the courtyard below, dead as a dead fish. Oh, probably twice as dead. Somebody is guilty of this. Somebody. And as a member of the Paris police, I mean to find out who that guilty person is. Yes, gentlemen. Isidore Musée Gendarme swore up and down that he would find the murderer. Well, at four o'clock that morning, I was awakened from a sound sleep and called to number 12 Rue Morgue to examine the evidence. Monsieur le gendarme Musée was running around the room destroying the evidence, or at least what little evidence there was, as fast as he unearthed it. The three gentlemen who had been there with him were still waiting round out of a combined feeling of horror and curiosity. The sailor, whose name escaped me, was sitting on what was left of a bed, staring blankly around the room. Monsieur Pierre Moreau, the tobacconist, was watching Isidore Musée, the gendarme, play detective. He played it badly. And Monsieur Le Bon was the picture of dejection. I entered the room and gazed about while Isidore supplied me with all the facts in the case, at least from his point of view. And, and that is exactly what happened, Monsieur Dupin. Very interesting, Monsieur Isidore Musée. And uh, now, gentlemen, I wish to ask just a few questions. No, go ahead, go ahead. Now, all of you seem to think you heard the voice of the murderer. Yes, yes, indeed. Oh, we did definitely. No doubt about it. And uh, you, Monsieur Isidore Musée, you are... Positive that the murderer is an Italian? Positive, Monsieur Dupin. Absolutely positive. I could tell by his uh, his intonation. Hmm? Do you speak Italian? Oh, no. Definitely not. Have you ever heard Italian spoken? No, Monsieur, never. But I imagine... Yes? You imagine what? Oh, I imagine it would sound like that. I see. And uh, you, Monsieur Le Bon... You said it was Polish. Definitely Polish, without a doubt. I judge you have lived in Poland a long time yet? No, no, but I heard Polish spoken once. Once? Yes. That makes you an excellent judge of the Polish language. Uh, how about you, Monsieur Pierre Moreau? What language did you say it was? Uh, Russian, I thought, uh, but that's only a guess, since I admit, and I admit it very freely, I'm not a man to hedge... Uh, I've never heard a word of Russian in my life. Mm, uh, I thought so. And how about you, sailor? I, I thought it was Dutch. I don't speak the Dutch language, but I have heard a considerable amount of Dutch spoken when I was in Holland eight years ago. Eight years ago. Hmm? I, uh, I don't mean to make a suggestion, Monsieur Dupin, but Monsieur Lamont was the only man beside myself who knew about the money being kept in this house. What are you insinuating, Monsieur Musée? Insinuating? <laughs> I'm an officer of the law, and I think it was very peculiar that you should just happen to be in this neighborhood at three o'clock in the morning. Don't you live in this neighborhood, Monsieur Le Bon? No, but I've good reason to be here. Oh, so? Suppose you tell us. Well, I was worried about Mademoiselle Camille. I was rather attracted to the young lady... And, well, I had a feeling that there would be trouble over the money. 
And while I was in the corner cafe having some tea until about ten minutes before the murder occurred. And then you strolled by the house on your way home. Correct? Quite correct. Now, my tobacco store is open all night. All tobacco stores are open all night, Monsieur Pierre Moreau. I was just walking by. I didn't steal the money. But naturally, nobody stole the money. It's in the safe behind this wall. Huh? Are you positive, Monsieur Dupin? Perfectly obvious that the money hasn't been touched. These murders were far too cruel to be instigated by man's greedy desire for financial reward. Here, let me open the safe and show you. I, uh... Happen to know an interesting combination that will open any safe. <laughs> I should have been a thief. So, there. That ought to open it. Oh, it did. Naturally. Now, look. There's the 4,000 francs, safe and snug as a 4,000 franc group of notes should be. Well, perhaps Monsieur Lebon was interrupted in the midst of his thievery. Perhaps he, he he didn't have time to finish. Well, nonsense. Monsieur Lebon was with you when you walked up the stairs. Well, an accomplice, perhaps. No, 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 Monsieur Isidore Musée. Let me show you something. Look at the fingerprints on this girl's neck. Very strong, heavy prints. And very large, too. Why, yes. The murderer must have been a giant. His hand must have been twice as large as mine, and I have a large hand as hands go. Yes, yes. The murderer was a giant. A giant with extraordinary strength. Gentlemen, I think now I have sufficient clues. Uh, look at this window. It's, it's just a window. Yes, just a window with a cord on it. A broken piece of cord. Clue number one. Clue number two. Look. Look at the dead girl's hand. Huh? Why? Oh, she has some hair. Clutched in her hand. Quite correct. And with this cord and this hair, I can find the murderer. Gentlemen, go home. Go home, get a good night's sleep, and I'll hand the murderer over to the prefect of police very soon. Monsieur Dupin, <clears throat> uh, don't forget to mention that I helped you. I'm, I'm due for promotion soon. And so, messieurs, that is the story. And you have the facts. A piece of cord and some hair. The condition of the room, the strength of the murderer, the passion of the deed, the lack of motivation, should all suggest to you the very same thing it suggested to me. Monsieur Dupin, you are talking in circles. Circles? So? You mean to say you still don't know who the murderer is? No, of course I don't know. And frankly, Monsieur Dupin, I don't think you know either. Oh, really, gentlemen. R really, gentlemen, you, you amaze me. Here. Here, Monsieur le Prefect. Examine this piece of cord, if you will. What do you make out of it? A uh, piece of cord, yes. Uh, well, let me see. Well, it's a piece of... Well, nothing, except that, uh, well, it's, it's been torn. Yes, it's been torn. Now, yes. try to tear it yourself. Well, try to Well, I couldn't. It, it, it's a very, very strong cord. Ah. Notice anything else? Yes, now that I look at it, it's got a very unusual knot in it. Uh, but what does an unusual knot prove? You will see what I mean presently. It's the first stroke of ten o'clock. Any minute now, gentlemen, the murderer will enter this room. Uh, may I please ask you to extinguish all the candles in the room, all except one. 
Well, uh, why, uh, Monsieur Dupin, we'll all be murdered. Which would be no great tragedy, but I, I wouldn't worry if I were you. Well, as you say, Monsieur Dupin, uh, extinguish the candles, gentlemen. Yes. Now we are in semi-darkness. That is fine. Listen, gentlemen. The downstairs door to my pension has opened and closed. The murderer is now downstairs. He is walking up the stairs. Now listen. Yes, listen. For the love of heaven. Quiet, quiet. He is coming closer. Gentlemen, are you ready to grab him when he enters? Yes, monsieur. That is good. Good. He is standing outside my door now, monsieur le prefect. Ready, gentlemen? Yes. Come in. Grab him. Let me go. Let me go. Let go. So it is you, sailor. Uh, help the sailor to sit down. Uh, it was a trap, huh? Yeah, but this sailor doesn't look strong enough to commit these murders. Let me go. Let me go. Don't Let struggle. me go, I say. Please, please, please don't struggle. <laughs> you see, sailor, Monsieur le Prefect cannot arrest you for the murder because although you are responsible for the crimes, you are not guilty. I'm not guilty. I'm not. I couldn't help it. Of course you couldn't. Gentlemen, it must be obvious to you now that no man murdered these two women. The only creature able to do it would be a Bornese orangutan. Orangutan? I matched these hairs I found in the dead woman's hand, and of course they belong to just such a creature. An orangutan. Yes. Yes, Monsieur Dupin is right. But tell me, how is uh, this sailor involved? I own the animal. Dupin put an ad in the paper saying my orangutan was captured. Oh, that's why I'm here, to claim it. But didn't you realize that Monsieur Dupin knew that the murder was an orangutan? No. No, I... I didn't think anyone could solve the murders. But I did know that whoever put the ad in the paper knew that I was the owner of the animal and that he was keeping what he thought was a perfectly innocent animal. You see, I addressed my ad personally to this sailor. This piece of cord told me a sailor owned it. There was a sailor's knot in the cord, and the knot was peculiar to those tied on Maltese vessels. Therefore, when I put the ad in the paper, I asked the sailor from the Maltese vessel, uh, I checked on the name of the vessel from the sailing data in the paper, to come and get the beast. Well, naturally, I I came to pick him up. Ah, now I see. Uh, one question I must ask, sailor. How did the orangutan get hold of a razor, and uh, how did he manage to escape? I... I had the animal locked in my quarters. I... I captured him in Malta and brought him to this country to sell to the zoo. They're, they're very smart, you know. For last night, when I entered my room, he was trying to shave with my razor. When I tried to chain him up, he escaped. He ran out into the streets... Saw the light in number 12, Rue Mog, climbed up the lightning rod to the ladies' apartments. Well, you know the rest. Indeed we do. Well, gentlemen, if you have any other problems you wish settled, call on me. Just call on Monsieur Auguste Dupin. Incidentally, if you'd like to see the orangutan, 
you'll find it safely locked up in the zoo. From the time-worn pages of the past, we have brought you the immortal tale, Murders in the Rue Mall. Bellkeeper, hold the bell. And that's the Weird Circle from January 2nd, 1944 with Murders in the Rue Morgue by Edgar Allan Poe. The classic story of French murder and its surprise ending, Lisa. Sustained or syndicated, actually, by NBC. Hope you enjoyed that. You know, you yeah, like the that? weirder the better. Yeah, the way you like those weird stories, I'll tell you. I do. Yeah, I, I know. I'm I in know a weird do. circle. Yes, yes, you are. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Are you a fan of classic radio? Shows like Abbott and Costello. What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, don't change the... Gunsmoke. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, no, let me see. This, dearie, is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com. And receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood360radio.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, Lisa, that's a wrap. Uh, next time, we're going to tune into Rogue's Gallery with Dick Powell. Then it's the Abbott and Costello Show, Dimension X, uh, Rocky Jordan, the Jack Benny Program, and. The Shadow. For my co-host Lisa Wolf, executive producer Mike Costella, engineer Sam Wolf, Vince and Chris Lombardi, my crabby brother Vince Amari, Adam West, and me, Carl Amari, thank you all very much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Stay safe out there. To learn more about Hollywood 360 or to contact us, visit our website at Hollywood360radio.com. Adam West speaking. <laughs>